Welcome to the Forensic Chiropractor Podcast, the podcast about healthcare relating to courts, with your host, Jeff Clayton, chiropractic physician. Hello, and welcome to the Forensic Chiropractor. Forensic Chiropractic is chiropractic relating to the courts. This podcast is about injuries that have the potential to go to courts. I'm Jeff Clayton, chiropractic physician in Utah. I graduated from the University of Western States in 2012, and I'm a board-certified independent medical examiner with the American Board of Independent Medical Examiners. I have extensive postgraduate training through chiropractic and medical schools. You can see my CV at ime-utah.com, and I've performed over 500 IMEs for plaintiff and defense. For the podcast, I will review a research article and give a real-world example. The last podcast discussed MRIs and finding of new versus old disc damage. We went over a lot of findings on MRIs of evidence to suggest new versus old injuries. The last podcast should be helpful with demonstrable objective evidence of injury and causation. In the medical legal world, objective, demonstrable evidence is often the key. What about subjective evidence? Does the way a patient experienced their injuries have an impact on diagnosis and a medical legal case? The study I want to go over today shows the importance of having subjective evidence. Today's study is from the Journal of Radiology Clinical Neurology, published in 2014 by Filippo Del Grande, who is an MD, and others. The title of the article is Imaging the Intervertebral Disc, Age-Related Changes, herniations, and radicular pain. They reported that this study was done to examine age-related changes in the disc versus new injuries. This study specifically focuses on radiculopathy. Radiculopathy is damage to the nerve roots as they leave the spine. Typical radiculopathy will occur in the neck or low back. This will often lead to arm or leg pain. Typical radiculopathy will be a disc herniation abutting or compressing a nerve root. Radiculopathy can be a serious injury. If the nerve root is completely smashed or compressed, then a surgical consultation and likely decompression surgery is needed. The damage done to the nerve can become permanent and will need urgent management. This study defined radiculopathy as presence of nerve dysfunction, including motor weakness, sensory loss, or diminished deep tendon reflexes, and it is typically accompanied by radiating limb pain, which is described as intermittent, lanceating, electric, or burning. Radiculopathy is different than referred pain from other sources like facet joints or SI joints. Referred pain is typically deep, dull, and achy, and rarely refers below the knee or the elbow. With motor vehicle collisions, I often see neck and arm pain or low back and leg pain. It is really important clinically to distinguish between radicular pain and referred pain. This is typically done during the examination. If there is a likelihood of radiculopathy, an MRI is likely needed. Today's studies showed that before the invention of MRI, it was difficult to diagnose radiculopathy. Once MRI came out, imaging radiculopathy of the spine became simple. This study showed that although we were able to see disc herniations on MRI, the diagnosis of radiculopathy was shown to be more complex. This study showed that the role of radiculopathy requires more than just an MRI showing nerve abutment or compression and that an inflammatory component was required. This study showed that once we have a new disc herniation, the natural progression is resorption. 
The herniated disc material will be resorbed through macrophage, which is a cellular destruction or engulfing of a herniated disc material. The macrophage process is inflammatory and can contribute to radiculopathy. A new herniation is defined as when the inside of the disc or the nucleus pulposus moves outside of the disc. The nucleus pulposus is immunogenic or the body sees it as foreign material. An immune response occurs and this creates an inflammatory response. The inflammation can contribute to radiculopathy. This study showed that if we take the nucleus pulposus and introduce it into the epidural space without nerve compression, we can still cause nerve dysfunction from the inflammatory response, but not pain. They showed that pain, or specifically radicular pain, is when we have disc come in contact with nerve root and we have the inflammation. They reported, and I'll quote, Hence, radiculopathy and radicular pain are the products not only of nerve compression, but also an inflammatory response, end quote. This information can help time date new versus old injuries seen on an MRI. If the patient's MRI shows disc material contacting the nerve root, but the patient is not experiencing radicular pain, then this could be an old disc injury. If the MRI shows disc material contacting the nerve root and radicular pain, then it is one more indicator that this is a new active inflammatory injury. This information is very powerful and important for patient care and for the medical legal world. This study shows that for radiculopathy, we need demonstrable objective evidence with the subjective evidence. The combination of subjective evidence is supported in the literature as not just nice to have with radiculopathy, but required. The important part of this article is that subjective complaints are another important part of evidence needed to show new versus pre-existing injuries. Showing the importance of subjective complaints, this study showed, and I'll quote, age-related changes in the disc occur progressively throughout adult life without any relation to symptoms, end quote. I know in the medical legal world, we are looking for demonstrable objective evidence of injury with causation. This article shows us the importance of subjective evidence. If we have an MRI with degenerative changes due to age, then we would expect that these changes came on progressively throughout their life without relation to symptoms. If we have subjective symptoms, especially radicular pain, then this study shows that we are likely dealing with a new injury. We will always need the subjective evidence, and this article shows the importance of this. My favorite part of this article is, and I'll quote again here, only a close concordance, a key and lock fit of an imaging finding and the individual patient's pain syndrome can suggest causation, which further implies that the imager must know the nature of a radicular pain syndrome if he or she is to suggest a causal lesion, end quote. This study addressed the demonstrable objective evidence of new versus pre-existing disc damage as well, most of which we covered in the last podcast. They showed that old disc injuries will show a loss of T2 signal in the disc. This is due to the fact that once a disc is damaged, it will lose fluid from the inside of the disc and over time appear to have a decreased T2 signal. They showed that old disc damage will alter the mechanics of the spine and will lead to osteophytes. And we talked about that in the last podcast quite a bit. 
They also talked about the modic changes and how to show new versus pre-existing injuries. We went over modic changes quite a bit on the last podcast, but as a refresher, a type 1 modic change is a new active inflammatory response in the bone that we see with new injuries. A type 2 modic changes are when the marrow in the bone is replaced with fatty tissue. Type 2 modic changes are not new injuries and have likely been around for a couple months to a couple years. And then the type 3 modic changes are when the bone is replaced by hardened sclerotic bone, and this is a really old injury. Have you ever wondered why steroid injections are done? Sometimes I wonder if people understand why a patient with a disc herniation or other low back or cervical spine pain would be given a steroid injection. The truth is that the steroid injection will lead to deterioration of the tissue. This sounds like a horrible way to help someone with the healing process. Today's study showed that conservative therapy is often effective management of disc herniations and given the proper environment, they will heal. This study showed that 71% of disc herniations diminished in size after two years and 95% diminished in size after seven years with just conservative care. The proper environment for disc herniations is not steroids, but yet we do steroid injections all the time. The proper environment for a disc herniation to reabsorb would be normal mechanical function. The disc will reabsorb better once the joints surrounding the disc have normal mechanical function. The area needs movement. This study discusses why steroid injections are done for disc herniations. They reported that steroid injections can help with the inflammatory response and allow the patient to be more functional and natural history will allow for reabsorption of the disc material and decrease in radicular symptoms. The steroid injection should have a large anti-inflammatory response. This anti-inflammatory response should help with pain and even help with radicular pain. The bottom line, the steroid injections are intended to decrease symptoms and increase activity and allow a time for the disc to reabsorb and heal up. Chiropractic care for patients with disc herniations will often involve working with biomechanical joint dysfunction to increase movement and allow the body to reabsorb the disc material. After a steroid injection, the patient will typically feel better and move better for a few weeks or months and then often the symptoms come back. The period after a steroid injection can be very helpful for patients to continue chiropractic care and make progress with mechanical dysfunction and help with the natural reabsorption process. Now, for a real-world example, a neurosurgeon that I have done a lot of training with back in New York at the New York at Buffalo Medical School has repetitively stated that we should never treat a patient's MRI. He feels like the MRI is an important tool for diagnosis, but that the patient's examination and subjective complaints are more important. I have a young patient that has a large disc herniation in his back. This disc herniation is abutting one of the nerve roots, but there is no nerve or spinal cord compression. The patient saw a provider that took one look at the disc herniation and told him that he needs to have surgery. This recommendation was based off of the MRI and no evaluation. The recommendation was made off of the MRI and the subjective complaints and physical exam were not factored into the surgical consultation recommendation. Subjective complaints showed low back pain 7 out of 10 and left leg pain with no numbness, tingling, or weakness in the leg. 
Physical exams showed no muscle weakness or other neurological deficits. As we see in today's study, this disc will likely reabsorb over time with conservative care. He was given a steroid injection to help manage the pain, not to help manage neurological deficits, but to help manage the pain. Over the next couple months, his pain decreased and he was able to avoid surgery and made a fair recovery. Keep in mind that once his disc herniated, he will always have disc damage. The disc did reabsorb over time, but will lose disc height. This loss of height will lead to altered biomechanical function and lead to osteophytes. The structural integrity of the disc will be compromised, make further injuries more likely. The healing process of a disc herniation will show an increase of growth factor to assist in the healing process. This healing process has been shown to increase the sensory nerves in the disc. This makes a structurally weaker disc with a decrease in disc height more prone to feeling pain. I liken this to a ticking time bomb that you never know when it will go off. If you have another injury, you sneeze, you cough, or do a variety of different activities, will that cause pain? This is why disc injuries, even with a good recovery, are permanent injuries and qualify for an impairment rating. Well, thanks for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe so you don't miss out on any medical legal research summaries. Also, let me know if you have any subjects you would like me to go over. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Forensic Chiropractor Podcast. Dr. Clayton can be found online at ime-utah.com. Theme song is Three Fishers by the band Aggregate. Three corpses live.